we've been looking at this idea over the past several weeks of what it would have been like to encounter Jesus, to listen to Jesus uh, before we knew how the story ended. We all have this uh, privilege, I guess, of knowing what happens. Um, His original audience, the people who he lived with on this earth, did not have that advantage, uh, at least not to the same extent we do. And the question is, how would his actions, his words, his teachings, his interactions have been perceived uh, at the time by those who didn't know where it was all going? Um, We have sort of followed this theme all the way through uh, Easter and sort of talked about the the disbelief that his followers had that first Easter Sunday when they woke up to learn that he was gone and all the implications of that and how difficult it was for that to set in on the people who knew him and loved him. And today we're going to look at uh, what's called uh, historically in the church his ascension uh, that is the the going up of Christ after his resurrection. Um, and just to give you a little bit of context, after his crucifixion, he was laid in a tomb on the third day, as you have probably heard. He, he rose again from the dead. And then he had about a 40-day span where he interacted with his followers um, in a variety of ways. He, he would appear among them as they were gathered. Uh, he would disappear from among them as they were gathered. He would speak with them. He would touch them. He would let them touch him. And he would eat with them. Uh, that final one is, is uh, you know, if, if you believe he was a ghost, that should be your most troubling uh, biblical evidence, right? He ate with his followers after his resurrection. That means that his resurrection was, was physical. It was complete. It was the real Jesus come back to life. And we're going to just take a couple of, of looks this morning at this time between the resurrection and his ascension, as well as... Um, the ascension itself and where that would have left his followers. And then I'm going to do a little bit of a, a flashback to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John and just give you a little bit of the prediction that Jesus made as he prayed for us, really, in the wake of his ascension. He, he prayed in advance for what was coming. Um, and no one in the room probably really understood the prayer when he prayed it. Uh, but we have it recorded because of John, and I'll, I'll share that with you because it has some huge implications for, for us and how we think, live, and believe. So let's begin in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll, uh, I'll take a brief uh, pause to kind of bring you into the set John 17 chapter, and then we'll read that as well. Before I start. Sorry, I didn't mean to fake you out. Um, The word in the first verse, Theophilus, uh, 
if you break those two words down, theo as in theology means God, this, you know, theo means God, and, and uh, philus um, would be like Philadelphia, the, it was the word love, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, that's the phile in Philadelphia, uh, philus here means lover or one who loves, and so this, this is written to those who love God. Uh, you could consider Theophilus to be an actual person, or you could consider it to be a metaphor for all of us. So just so you know to whom the letter is written, it's to you. Uh, so here we go. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day... <clears throat> excuse me, when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. <clears throat> so, just give that a minute to kind of sink in. Um, they're standing with him. They're talking with him. Uh, they ask him a question. And he kind of gives a yeah, yeah, whatever kind of answer and just changes over to you'll receive power. And I'll try to explain that in a minute. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Um, and then he just checks out. Um, I don't know about you, but this had to be astoundingly confusing. So he goes through all the trouble of crucifixion and death. He goes through all the display of divine power through the resurrection and then he just disappears 
Like, well, wait, we did, there was, you did, <laughs> where do you go? Why? Why now? Why after all this are you just going to check out? What's up? And of course he tells them prior to leaving that there's something else or someone else coming to be with them. But at, at this particular moment, they had to be flipping out. And they're just standing there looking up at the sky, waiting for maybe him to reappear or something. It was, you know, bolts of lightning to start knocking Pilate out of his governor's palace or something. Um, and nothing. And two angels show up and go, what are you gawking at? That? <laughs> that was not normal. And then at some point, Jesus' words to them prior to the Last Supper would have started coming back to their consciences. Consciousness, excuse me. Um, they would have started to remember things that he said. And I want to read to you an excerpt from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, where John records a prayer that Jesus makes for his followers. And I want you to hear this in the light, sort of like you're remembering these words after watching Jesus check out. Um, So John chapter 17, I'm going to begin in verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are one. I'm sorry, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and I loved them, even as you loved me. At the time he prayed that, I'm thinking nobody really got it. It was weird, right? I am one and they're one and you're one with me and we're one with them and what? And yet... This prayer defines who we are in the wake of his ascension. Who are we? What are we doing here? Why do we do this? What's up? And let's just try to go back for a moment to that space in time where the apostles are staring up into the sky going, huh? Wait a minute. What, what had they hoped? They revealed it in there. What had they hoped? That he would restore the kingdom to Israel. What would that have meant? Right, a lightning bolt to Pilate, uh, a huge display of power, Um, the overthrow of the Roman army, (laughs) good luck there, right? Um, And the restoration of political, territorial Israel. What What was Jesus talking about the whole time he was with them for those 40 days? I think it's in like verse two or three. Three. What was he talking about? that whole time? What was his theme? He was talking to them about the kingdom of God. So it's, it's not illogical that they are thinking he's going to restore political, territorial Israel to its former glory, right? That's a logical human conclusion. Jesus has something completely different in view. And essentially what he says is, I have established my Father's kingdom here on this earth. No one can see it, but it's done. I've, I've done the work, and I've laid down my life to, to seal it. So here it is. And by the way, I'm going back to where I, from that place from whence I came. And here's the keys. See y'all later. All of his followers had to be going, what? What do you mean? You're leaving the keys in our hands? 
are you crazy? Um, hey, Jesus, uh, I denied you three times when you were on trial. All of us who were with you the night prior to the trial, uh, we fell asleep when you needed us most. Um, the one guy, the one guy in our following who wasn't a redneck from Galilee, uh, the one city boy in the group, he sold you out. We may not be the best group of people to leave the keys with. Just say it. Maybe you should stay. So, the ascension raises several questions. The first one, what was he thinking? What was he thinking leaving his kingdom in our hands? Um, if there's any sure-fired way to completely mess it up, he found it. By giving the keys to us. All right? And we don't need to do much uh, searching through church history, recent or past, to find terrible examples of, of the fact that this is a huge, what were you thinking? Right? You leave the keys in the hands of selfish, power-hungry, crazy people, and bad things are going to happen. Um, <clears throat> so what was he thinking? Let's, let's, let's look at what he left behind, or let's start with what he did not leave behind. He did not leave behind a physical kingdom, a political entity, a territorial jurisdiction. He left nothing physical behind. Think about this for a minute. <clears throat> um, Let's, if you're, if you're establishing a kingdom and you're going to leave it to someone, what do you want to leave them? You're, you're leaving a dynasty, right? That's what we call that. When you establish a kingdom and you leave it to your heirs, that's a dynasty. Um, Jesus left nothing around which a dynasty could be built. Let's just pick a few people who've left dynasties. Out, out of history, political, religious, it doesn't matter. You can pick one if you want to. I'm willing to work with you here. Uh, I've got a few I've already picked out. Um, let's, take, let's take one of the, the, the ones more ethereal, okay, similar to Jesus, but, it, but not entirely. There's just a little difference. Uh, Confucius in China, he left a legacy of writings, right? He was very prolific. He, he wrote a lot, and he left behind for people who were inspired by his writings a whole collection of works. Um, the only thing that we know that Jesus wrote, do you know where he wrote it? In the dirt. He just squatted down and wrote in the dirt. That's not a lasting medium for your writings. We don't even know what it was he wrote in the dirt. He could have just been doodling. Um, <clears throat> Mohammed, also the founder of a religion, what did he leave behind? 
a vast territorial jurisdiction, a political entity, a military apparatus, um, some writings. Uh, let's go biblical for a minute. Let's look at Moses. What did he leave? The writings, the law, right? Um, he left Israel with a bit of wealth. If you remember when they left Egypt, uh, God sort of compelled the Egyptians to give them pieces of gold on their way out. So they kind of pillaged Egypt of much of its gold in the process. Um, Solomon, he left wealth, writings, a political entity, a religious temple, um, all kinds of things upon which a dynasty could continue, right? How long did it last after Solomon was done? No. Well, there, I'm, I'm thinking of his son who immediately threw the country into civil war and the dynasty was effectively coughed up. It, it was ruined in the span of a few weeks, I think, if I read it correctly. Um, so, what about uh, George Washington? He left a dynasty, didn't he? He left us some writings. He left us uh, a political entity. He left us an idea that has driven us for a couple of hundred years plus. This idea of, of freedom and, and personal responsibility uh, and the two go hand in hand. Um, these governing principles for our nation, he didn't write them all, but that's what he left in place when he exited stage left. Um, what did Jesus leave? An empty sky. He disappeared into an empty sky and left literally a, a ragtag group of rednecks from the backwoods of, of Galilee. All right? I mean, hmm. This is not uh, Muhammad's army. Um, this is a questionable choice. He only left witnesses. He really didn't leave a trace of himself. He left only witnesses, people who would testify as to the truth of who he was. And these witnesses were people who had utterly failed him. But they were also people to whom he had shown proof of his existence, of his resurrection, of his nature and who he was and why he came. And it's a group of people who continued, even after they'd seen everything, to misunderstand. So, if I may, uh, just bear with me for a moment, okay? Um, the question, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? 
can I rephrase that for you? Jesus, can you please now kick some butt? Please? Please, just turn on the switch and light some people up. Okay? Because this world is terrible and we're getting a raw deal. And we want justice and we want success and we want freedom and we want fill in the blank. Can you please just light them up? A couple of laser guided bombs or something? Anything? Um, we continue to misunderstand. We think that God's kingdom will come through political action or by building a bigger empire or what I love the fact that we worship in a metal building there's nothing sexy about this place on the outside inside's pretty cool it's what's on the inside that counts right all right the kingdom of God is not about hoarding wealth or establishing power or building an empire in the human sense. It's about something profoundly spiritual. And so what was he thinking? What better way to display the power of God than through a bunch of buffoons? If the church on this earth is going to expand, it's not going to be because of these fishermen from the backwoods. It's going to be because of the power of the Spirit of God moving in the hearts of his people. And that was true then, and it's true now. So let's look at another question that the ascension brings before us. What does he want from us? If he leaves us the keys to his kingdom and disappears, what does he want? What does he want for us to do with that? Um, If I'm reading John 17, verse 18 correctly, he wants his incarnation to continue. He wants the presence of God in flesh to live on. Um, The the book that we've been using uh, for this exploration called The Jesus I Never Knew, the author actually uses a great analogy here in in this chapter. He says that the kingdom of God, you know, snuffing it out is kind of like taking a dandelion and going, right? It, It destroys the little thing was a flower now it's just a stem but you've spread the germ right and uh, Jesus wants the incarnation to continue you know he could have stuck around he could have walked into the temple and walked right through the torn curtain and sat down on the Ark of the Covenant. It's his seat. It was made for him. He could have just 
sat there, and then when we had problems, we could fly to Jerusalem, check in, get in line, take a number. Hey, Jesus, I had this argument with my wife. Could you please tell her she was wrong? Um, yeah. I believe in miracles. Dan's leaving. He's like, that's it. He's finally lost it. So you are the point where God's hand reaches this earth. It's you. Um, It's us. We are the body of Christ. He wants us to be him in this world. He wants us to continue the incarnation and he wants us to extend hope to the world. How, how does that make you feel to hear that you are the hope of the world? It's terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying. You are the hope of the world. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Jesus, come back. What? Those, these two? Who are you pointing to? These two? Okay. Well, when it all comes down, I want to be on their team. That's, that's a good thing. Um, you are the hope of the world. We are the hope of the world. We are that entity in which God has vested himself. And he says, I'm here, and I have big plans. I plan on taking over the world through you. Now, bumble it, fumble it, tumble over it. I don't care. I've got this. And so he puts this in our hands, and he tells us that we are God's agents for change. We are God's agents for good in this world. Um, you know, it's easy to, to like drag out the bad press on the church. Um, we forget sometimes just some of the amazing things that people of faith and bodies of faith have banded together to do for good in this world. Um, you know, the, the list is long. Uh, unfortunately, most of these people are doing what they do to serve Christ. And so it's not publicized. It's not, you know, made a big deal of. Um, probably the most famous is Mother Teresa, who if, I, if she heard someone use that word about her, she would just cringe. I'm not famous. Um, but what that woman did made no sense whatsoever on the human scale. I'm just going to take care of the people who are dying, who can't give anything back. Um, and look at the history of health care in this country. Virtually every hospital in this country was founded by a religious organization at a time when people were just without hope. And so places were created where people who were dying and sick and desperate could come 
and just have a bed and people who would care for them. And we eventually stumbled across some things that actually do help people. And, uh, you know, the rest is now it costs a lot more. And, but, um, what's that? <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that. No, we're not getting political here. Um, but what God wants from us is to continue his incarnation, to be his hands reaching out to this world, to extend hope, to be agents of change. And that leads us to another question. How in the world are we to do this? How are we supposed to pull this off? If he who had the power to be resurrected from the dead left and dropped the keys in our hands, what are we supposed to do? Um, Well, Jesus told us that the most important thing we can do is receive the power of his spirit. This is a gift that is incredibly difficult to define um, and different Christian groups over the course of Christian history have disagreed over what this means and how it works. Um, Let's just say this. The disciples who were there, they didn't ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus left, and the next, Jesus went up, the Spirit came down, and they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says literally it looked like something was falling, like fire was falling from heaven and, and falling into the followers of Christ. They were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes with faith in Christ. Um, this is the gift that changes everything. And we are called to be those who tap into our spiritual source. This kingdom that Christ established is a spiritual kingdom. It's not political. It's not military. It's not geographic. It's spiritual. And this is why there is no temple in Israel anymore. Because God was saying, I'm changing this game from getting you to stop thinking that this is about geography, real estate, and politics to help you understand this is a spiritual kingdom. It all happens in here. And so we are to be those, according to Jesus' prayer, who struggle toward his truth. If you reread those verses 14 through 19 in John chapter 17, you see this call for us to be sanctified. That means made holy in the truth. We are to grow. We're to be people who surrender our will to the will of God, who wrestle through what it means to uh, yield to him. We're to be people
who rely on God's strength and not our own. So we are to live in the power of the Spirit and we're called to live in the unity of the Holy Spirit, to come together in his name. Jesus says that our unity is supposed to be a reflection of the Trinity. We are to be together as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are together and in harmony with one another. Um, How good are we at that? Not so much. We have our moments, right? We have a few moments every once in a while where it all kind of comes together and it works. And we get it. And we go, yes. And then we have those other moments where we go, no, 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 no. That's not it. Um, But our call is to seek the power of the Holy Spirit and to seek the unity of the Holy Spirit, to be people who can yield to God and to each other. And when that happens, when we come together in unity, the gospel spreads. Jesus says, we come together in his name and others see the light. Um, You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You do have to go to church to fulfill this command that we experience or, or, or fight through this thing called unity. It's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. Uh, There will be conflict. But what Christ wants to reach in all of us is that point of resolution and peace and unity where we come back together after things break down. So, what was he thinking? He was thinking this that by placing his Holy Spirit within each of our hearts, he could show us a new way to live, a new way to relate to each other that brings about harmony rather than conflict, that shows the world that there's hope. And you, unfortunately for us, you are that hope. And unfortunately for you, so am I. And we're in this together, and we're called to reflect the nature of God through the way we relate to each other. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, what were you thinking? We question everything. We doubt. We are controlled by fear. We misunderstand. We miscalculate. We move too quickly or too slowly. And yet, Lord, somehow, you choose to work through us to do your will because you love us, because your power transcends all that this life 
brings to bear against it. And Lord, we thank you that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, that we might have that spiritual power that we do not have on our own, and that we may experience and move toward the unity that is only found in you. Use us, Father, to change this world, to bring hope and healing where it is needed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.